everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today we're going to continue our series asking the question, how did we get here? And we're actually going to continue on from last week's biblical interpretation, looking at biblical womanhood. How did we get here? If you're just tuning in to this series or this podcast, then maybe you're wondering why I'm asking this question or what that question even means. What I mean is, how do we get to this place where our Christian culture is just so messed up, where we have so much conflict and controversy, and where so many of our Christian leaders are just epically failing? The whole Ravi Zacharias thing has thrown so many people for a loop. Here was somebody they really felt like they could trust, and only to find out that he's been sexually assaulting and abusing and harassing women for years. How did we get here? We've talked about a misused version of authority. We've talked about misused unity, gossip. We've talked about biblical interpretation. And today I want to talk about biblical womanhood. I've talked about this before in my podcast, and so some of this is going to be old information. Some of it's going to be new information that I've just discovered. So I want to talk about biblical womanhood. What is biblical womanhood? And how has our misinterpretation of that, our misunderstanding of that, caused part of the problems that we see within this Christian culture today? Well, we're going to go back to biblical interpretation. Do you guys remember last week when I talked about how we often think that we can just use the English translation of a text and just say, oh, the simplest understanding of this is what it really means and how that's wrong and how it comes up with all kinds of problems? Well, here's my thing. I think we've done the exact same thing when it comes to being a biblical woman. What do I mean by that? Well, if you know my story, then you know that I grew up in this kind of Christian cult for about 10 years of my life. And so biblical womanhood in that very conservative, patriarchal culture would be that you were submissive, quiet, gentle, that you did all the housework, that you had a very specific gender role that you had lots of children, that you listened to your husband, that you submitted to him, that you didn't come up with your own plans or ideas, that you obeyed him, that you allowed him to be the leader in your life, that you had long hair, that you wore long dresses, that you made homemade food and bread and gardened and all this kinds of stuff. And that was the idea of being a biblical woman. And some of that they got from the scriptures, twisted, and some of it they just got from people's own ideas and, I don't know, this fascination with old-fashioned things, all things old-fashioned. It was a huge fascination of ours. And so that was part of it. Problem is, there's a very similar idea amongst normal Christianity that I've encountered, where they said to me things like, well, you're a woman, so you can't be teaching men, or you can't be teaching teenage boys, or you should just go sit over there and be quiet. And as I've grown in my understanding of who I am as a person that God made me to be, of what it looks like to be a woman who follows Jesus, I am not at all the kind of person that my 16-year-old cult self would have appreciated. I have short hair, and I work, and I only have two children, and they go to school, public school, and I don't have a garden. I don't make bread. Um, I clean my house sometimes, but that's not my whole identity. And so I would have been very disappointed with myself. However, as I understood what biblical womanhood really is, I'm very proud of myself 
I've learned to just accept this passionate, strong, wise, opinionated person that God made me to be and just love it and accept it. And that this is this is good. So how do we mesh those two? How do we really operate as women in the way that God has designed us to work? Well, this is something that I have been wondering about and struggling with for years now. And my personal journey with this whole idea of what does it mean to be a biblical woman and how have we messed this up potentially in our interpretation of the scriptures is the story of Deborah. And this started a few months, a few years ago. I was reading through the Judges and came across the story of Deborah and shockingly realized that God wasn't condemning her for being a woman and a prophet and a judge. And that the idea that there was no good men to lead and therefore this woman had to lead was not in scripture. And that here was this woman who was just doing her thing. She was being a prophetess. She was leading the nation of Israel. And there was no way that God condemned her at all. And I was like, interesting. And it really just made me kind of rethink a lot of the stories that I had read in the Bible. And it put me in this journey of just searching for what does it mean to actually be a woman and to be a believer in Jesus? And what does that look like? And it's been an interesting journey. So we're going to kind of just touch on this. There's another prophetess in the Old Testament, the prophetess Huldah from 2 Kings 22. And as I was thinking about Deborah and I was thinking about Huldah, I was like, you know what? You cannot be a prophetess, at least not a true prophetess, unless the Spirit of God is upon you. And if the Spirit of God is upon you and allowing you to be a prophetess, then how can he be against this? And it just didn't line up. And I was like, this isn't making any sense. Like there's false prophets and there's true prophets. And these guys are obviously true prophets. So maybe my understanding of who women are supposed to be and their roles is not actually correct. Now, you remember we've talked about when we read the Bible, we read the whole overarching story. We don't just zero in on one verse or one section. We need to know what the whole story says, what the whole chapter says, what the whole book says, and ultimately what the entire Bible says. So if you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, my, my research led me back to the very beginning in Genesis when God creates man and then he creates a woman. And he says that he, is going, he has made him he has made man this, this helper that's suitable for him. And that's our English translation. It's really not a very good translation because if you look it up, the Hebrew word is actually ezer konegdo. And it's this idea of a yin-yang kind of thing. Like here's man and here's his equal but opposite partner, woman. And she's a helper, but a helper in the sense of like a warrior helper, like a teammate. Like we're going to fight this together. We're going to do this together. We're both strong. We're equal but opposite. And here we are together, humanity moving forward. And that was exciting. I like this. This is way better the interpretation that I was given when I was younger of being this like barefoot woman in the kitchen with an apron and 16 children on your hips. So I like this. Created to be his helper, his warrior partner, his teammate, the yin to his yang, equal but opposite. Guys, I really, as I've done research, I am increasingly convinced that we as a church have messed this up. Some of it has been more recent in our dogmatic interpretation of scriptures, and some of it is just stuff that we have accepted since right after Jesus went back into heaven. Okay, so here's some thoughts. In Genesis, after this fall of man, and woman and man have fallen, they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and God gives them this curse. And one of the things in the curse is that she'll be underneath her husband. That he will rule over her. And I never understood why this was supposed to be a good thing in my circles. 
Like, if that's a curse, then why are we still doing this? Like, that's a curse. That should be a bad thing. But they were like, oh, no, because of sin, now man gets to rule over. And that just doesn't make sense to me because I look around at our broken world and all the sin in our broken world. And in every religious situation, it's not Christian, it's just religious. Every hardcore religious situation, you see women being oppressed. Um, Whether that's Muslims, where the women are forced to wear all this hijab and everything. Or even just in some of the Mormon circles where women are just told, this is who you have to be. You just look at religion and you see oppressed women. And I don't like it when I look at religious Christianity and I still see oppressed women. There's no way that that is the way God designed things to be. And so I just have wrestled with this. And I've struggled with this. And yet people point me back to these New Testament passages in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy. And they say, no, no, no. Men are leaders and women have to just shut up and be quiet and do their thing somewhere else. And I recently discovered that I don't believe that anymore. So here's my journey. First Corinthians and First Timothy were used as when I was a kid to just totally oppress the women. To say that you are not allowed to lead, you are not allowed to talk in church, you are not allowed to basically do anything except for have babies and take care of the house and submit to your husband. However, as I found the context of these passages, I no longer believe that they are trying to subjugate women. As I said last week, I had somebody reach out to me more recently and say, well, Jesus obviously knew women were important. Too bad Paul didn't understand that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't agree with that anymore, actually. I think Paul did know that women were created to be co-heirs with men in the kingdom of God. And I think that we need to understand the context and the historical culture and really be able to understand those passages. So I've talked about this previously in my podcast, and I actually am going to link an article that I wrote on my blog that kind of goes into more details if you're interested. But the Corinthians one, just as a quick, quick understanding flyby thing here, the church was kind of a mess. There was a lot of things that they were doing that was just really chaotic in their church. And if you look at it, the women talking in church is just one of many chaotic things that were happening. You had people who were prophesying, you had people who were speaking in tongues about an interpreter, and you had women who were speaking up and asking questions. And if you look at the context and you look at the way that the words are, are lined up, you'll find this on my blog, you can recognize these are women who didn't have the same education as men had. And so they were already at a loss. Like they were coming into church with things that they were missing, information, background that they didn't have. And so they were curious and they're wanting to know what's going on. And they're trying to ask these questions, which is then disrupting and causing more chaos in the service. And Paul is saying to the husbands, teach your women at home, catch them up. Get them to the place where they can understand what's going on so then they have that same education and understanding of the Bible or of culture or whatever so they can then be a part of this. I love that. And if you look at that, it actually makes sense. Remember, these letters are letters to real churches, real people, with actual scenarios that we don't understand. Okay, same thing with the First Timothy. First Timothy 2, 9-15, Paul is talking to Timothy about women again. And he's saying things about them being silent in the church and that men need to lead. And then they go on in this weird passage about like they're going to be saved through childbearing. Like what the heck is going on? I found this fascinating YouTube video that you can watch. It's actually linked in my blog at the article I mentioned. And it's this guy who was doing some research about the riches in the ancient world and like Greece and especially in Ephesus and just what it was like to be really super wealthy. And as he's looking into this, he suddenly realizes that in Ephesus, at the same time that Paul is writing this 
this letter to Timothy, there was this giant worship of this god Artemis. And she was supposedly the god of like childbirth and labor and and fertility and stuff like that. And she was somebody that the women just really honored. And they would honor her by wearing certain hairstyles with these braids and this gold and pearls in their hair. And they would, in the temple, actually, of Artemis, they would kind of like chant and repeat these different prayers and stuff like that. Women who would, young women would grow up and like just being like chanting and stuff like this. And this this professor that I was listening to on the YouTube, he said that it's very possible that Paul is just referring to this stuff that these Ephesus people would already understand because of their history in Ephesus with this goddess of Artemis. And that he's really just pushing back at that kind of stuff. He's telling the women, don't braid your hair trying to show off that you are following Artemis. You know, do these good deeds showing that you're actually following Jesus. Don't be talking endlessly in these repetitions of thinking you have to just say this stuff that you've been reciting for Artemis. Like, no, do it differently. And they were actually quite concerned if they left Artemis that they would maybe die during childbirth because they had abandoned this goddess of childbirth and labor and and uh, fertility. And so he's telling them, no, you're not going to be dead during childbirth. God is going to sustain you. You'll be saved through this. And so when you see some kind of context behind what they're talking about and you realize, wait, this is an actual letter written to actual people that have information that we don't have anymore that would have made sense to them, that doesn't make sense to us. It's so important that we read the Bible with this accurate understanding. It is not this magical, mystical book that we can just like take and rub like a little glass ball and just think that we can just make it up to say whatever we want it to say or that we can just understand it without any extra help. So when those two passages get kind of blown up like that, and then you're left to look at the rest of the Bible, it just makes you wonder, how does God really feel about women? And are they really supposed to be these co-heirs with men and following Jesus that way? That there's no this limitation that we've put on them. So recently I found this article by a lady named Beth Allison Barr. And she's writing a book that I've actually already ordered. It's coming out in April called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. And I was super intrigued by this article that I read about her because she has a Baptist background. And her husband was a Baptist pastor. And yet she is a professor of history at Baylor University. And she confesses in this article that I read, which I'll also link in the notes, that she knew the truth about these women in the Bible, about Paul's women in Romans 16, but she kept silent about it because she wanted to preserve her own standing within the Christian church that she was a part of. Her husband was a pastor, and she wanted to make sure he was okay and there wouldn't be this giant pushback against him. And yet at the same time, being this history professor, she knew the truth about these women. She knew that historically women were very active in the early church. That in the end of Romans, in Romans 16, Paul is listing off his women who were helpers of the church. And one of them, Phoebe, is actually in the Greek a deacon, a deaconess. However, the English translation, which doesn't believe that because women have to be under authority, changed it to servant. And you'll see that they push back against that. And there's another person in there, Junius which is actually supposed to be Junia, who's a woman. And she was an apostle and she was recognized as an apostle. And yet because they've already got this idea that women can't lead, the English translators changed it to Junius, meaning a a man and saying, well, Junius was an apostle. The article goes on and I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go again. Maybe all this idea of women being less than men 
isn't actually accurate, isn't actually biblical. So how does this tie back in with the idea of how do we get here? Well, guys, I think it's really, really clear that so much of the stuff and the junk that's going on within our churches right now is because of this negative attitude towards women. You think about the people who think it's okay to just sexually harass, abuse women, these leaders, and the way they view women is not as though you view them as an equal. You're not viewing them as an equal partner in the kingdom. You're viewing them as an object. And you see this in the purity culture. You see this within a lot of different things. And I think it's really important that we have this understanding. What is it to be a biblical woman? What is it as a man to to recognize a woman as an equal partner in the kingdom? What does this look like? Now, I'm hesitant to call myself a Christian feminist because I feel like feminism has this kind of, I don't know, viral, like radical tendency. I'm not, I'm not like an angry feminist who's angry with men and against men. I think you can be a Christian feminist and standing up for who we are as women and yet respecting and honoring men for who they are. We don't have to be pushing them down just to make ourselves come up. We can rise up and they can be up and we can both be equal co-heirs in the kingdom. So that's my goal here. I just want to really just encourage you to just rethink some of this stuff that we have just accepted and believed and and just really wonder, like, is this actually biblical or is this just more Christianese tradition that we have been taught? The things that we hear from our churches, are they actually biblical or are the pastors teaching them because they heard them from people who heard them from someone else who heard them from someone else? Is it actually biblical that women cannot be leaders in the church? Is it actually biblical that women have to be under the authority of men? Is it actually biblical? Is it actually biblical? I, I'm doubtful. Hardcore doubtful. I really have turned into rather an egalitarian these days. And I love it. It's healthy. It's good. And I would just encourage you, before you get upset, do the research. Not just from the perspective of a complementarian. Do the research. Where does it actually prove that this is what's going on? Look at the whole scripture. Look at the whole Bible. Look at how God lifts up women over and over and over again. It's interesting. All right, guys, we're going to continue this on. How did we get here? Next week. Thanks for listening. And until then, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God. 